0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: If what we're saying about Revelation is accurate, we should expect this to occur, these types of events to occur from the time Jesus died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, the day of Pentecost, when he poured out his spirit, as has been described as the days of the Lord, the last days He will pour out His Spirit. We should see these types of things to occur all the way to the end until Jesus returns. Today. Today. Today
0: today, with Jeff Fines,
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist, and Bible
1: teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and we're asking the question today, what is the mark of the beast? This is a message that Pastor Jeff started last time, and he's going to continue talking about it as we hear the rest of this message from Revelation chapter 13. He says, think about what was happening in John's day when this book was written, and stop trying to apply this passage directly to our culture today. If you want to catch up on this series or find other messages from Pastor Jeff, just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump back into this message with Pastor Jeff. He's explaining Revelation 13 and 14 and that there's two types of people.
1: If we just keep reading into chapter 14 and remember the original text did not have separation of chapter and verse, we're given immediately an understanding of what the mark of the beast is and why it's put on the head and the wrist. So you're either a child of your father thinking about and doing the work of God, or you're a child of the evil one thinking about and doing the work of the flow, the world that is egocentric, that is that your whole life is about you, but if you're a child of God, the name written on your forehead and on your wrist, symbolically, it's not written literally, symbolically is the name of your father. So there are two types of people, those who do the work of the evil one They think of the work of the evil one because they're in the flow of the world or you think and do the work of God because you're in the flow of the kingdom of God that will last forever. Verse two says, and I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and like a loud pill of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song. I love that. When heaven comes, there's a song you can sing only if you've endured and remain faithful to great times of tribulation, except the 144,000, all God's people, who had been redeemed from the earth. We've been rescued out of the flow of a world system that is corrupt and held under the sway of Satan himself. These are those who did not defile themselves with women for they remain virgins. Does that mean all the people in heaven are virgins? No, this is spiritually metaphorical language. That is, we remain true to the bridegroom, to the Christ. He goes on to say, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. I love that. Wherever Jesus takes us, that's where we go. In good times and bad times, With his moral law or cultural moral law, we always choose to follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. In other words, they are not people of deceit. They speak the truth. They speak it in love. So what is the message then concerning the beast of the earth? It's during the age of the church, governments will partner with religion. These religions will be ordained by Satan himself. They will present doctrines of demons. They will rely greatly on man's efforts. They will think and do the work of the evil one. Now, I know some of you will struggle with this and you'll say, man, Pastor Jeff, I hear you, but I have a hard time believing that Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism are somehow doctrines of demons. Of course they are, because they denounce the all-sufficient, all-atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That That should make you angry at the ministering servants of Satan, but it also should make you shed a tear in your eye for those who have been deceived and to give you this catalytic feeling of doing whatever it takes to get the good news of the gospel to the world so that they too can know that what needs to be done to make us right with God has been done on the cross by Jesus and his sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. And these religious rituals that we encounter, that we do every day in a point where we try to merit favor of God and merit heaven will never work. And that's why 1 John 4.3 says that every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now is already in the world. Think for a moment. In the big picture of Revelation 13, Think of how government and religion partner together under Sharia law. Sharia is a a name that means uh, path in Arabic. And if you know anything about Islam, it is a state-governed religion. The government and religion are in bed together. And in these places where that occurs, it doesn't occur everywhere, there is direct oppression of women. For women, sex outside marriage or drinking or even inappropriate dress can result in flogging, stoning, amputation, exile, or execution. The UN tells us that thousands are killed every year in the name of family honor. Pew Research found that 39 countries where government and religion have partnered together under Islam, they strongly support amputation, stoning, and death for those who convert to Christianity. In many Islamic countries today, Christians are not free to worship or pray, to build church buildings, are often arrested, in many cases persecuted, prevented from buying or selling or working and are often killed and all this sanctioned by the government. This is not true everywhere, but it's true in a lot of places. Hinduism is no different. I picked up this article just recently. This is from Indore India. The Christians were mid hymn when the mob kicked in the door. A swarm of men dressed in saffron poured inside. They jumped on stage and shouted Hindu supremacist slogans. They punched pastors in the head. They threw women to the ground, sending terrified children scuttering or scuttling under their chairs. They kept beating us, pulling out hair, said Manish David, one of the pastors who was assaulted. They yelled, what are you doing here? What songs are you singing? What are you trying to do? The attack unfolded on the morning of January 26th at the Kendrick Christian Center in the city of Indore. The police soon arrived, but the officers did not touch the aggressors. Instead, they arrested and jailed the pastors and other church leaders who were still dizzy from getting punched in the head. The Christians were charged with breaking a newly enforced law that targets religious conversions, one that mirrors or at least a dozen other measures across the country that have prompted a surge in mob violence against the Indian Christians. The organized assault against the church was propelled by a growing anti-Christian hysteria that is spreading across this vast nation, home to one of Asia's oldest and largest Christian communities, with more than 30 million adherents. Notice what the article says next. The pressure is greatest in Central and Northern India, where the governing party of Prime Minister Narendra Modi is firmly in control. To many Hindu extremists, the attacks are justified. To them, the possibility that some Indians, even a relatively small number, would reject Hinduism for Christianity is a threat to their dream of turning India into a pure Hindu nation. It's true, not everywhere, but in many places where Islam has joined power with the state. It is also true, not in all, but in most cases where Hinduism has joined the government. There is a persecuted group of Christians who suffer at the hands of an anti-godly world government, when they combine with an anti-Christ, anti-God, religious system. The same is true in the Buddhist world. Like Islam and Hinduism, there is little to no separation in many of these places between religion and government. In fact, one empowers the other. They are unholy companions in work and hopeful outcomes. The government in many places around the globe aggressively requires that all people conform to the full belief and practice of the state religion. And if you don't, it's convert, conform, or die, and this is Revelation 13. However, quickly, before I answer the question, where do we go from here? No religion, no religion does as much damage, historically speaking, than the religion that has claimed more deaths and is responsible for more wars and human suffering than all of these others combined. And it's the religion of atheism, the most dangerous because it hides under the illusion of non-religion. Religion is defined as any statement or belief that deals with the ultimate. Even a denouncement of the ultimate is a religion. Atheism attempts to live and propagate a doctrine or dogma that aggressively affirms man and material as the ultimate, as gods that are to be worshipped and served and obeyed. The atheist worships the altar of self sets himself up as the ultimate authority, denies objective morality, pays homage to the material world, and denies and denounces the spiritual world. And the point that I've been making for years along with many others, there's no such thing as a non-religious person. You place your ultimate faith and trust in something. You denounce worldviews that disagree with you. You live by a set of precepts you have determined in your own mind. And I travel down this road because young people, please listen. Young adults, listen, high schoolers, listen. You are growing up in a world that tries to tell you that religion is responsible for world conflict, and if we could just rid the world of religion, we could all live in peace. And I say, come on, don't be so gullible. Look, the Encyclopedia of War, which is an amazing work by Gordon Martel, says that only 7% of wars that have been fought have been fought for religious reasons. And while it's true that Christianity has had its issues, we must remember that we follow Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? If you pick up a sword historically in Islam or Hinduism, not that every Muslim does, not that every Hindu does, but traditionally, if you pick up a sword in Islam or Hinduism, you are merely following your leader. But if you pick up a sword in Christianity, and there are some who have, you are in direct violation and disobedience of your master. But honestly, do you think atheism has never wielded the sword? Folks, Governments who partner with Hinduism, Islam, and Buddhism may oppress people, especially Christ followers. But atheists, people who attempt to live without God, are responsible for the disintegration of culture, the destruction of objective morality, and the diabolical oppression of the people. There is an atheist's hall of shame. Mao Zedong killed 80 million people, folks. Stalin killed another 20 million. Who knows how many more Lenin destroyed? Hitler is responsible for another six million. And records show us that in the past two centuries alone, atheists have killed over 275 million people. And what you're witnessing today in America is the outworking of atheism, where the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth combine in ways we've never seen before. Please listen. Jesus said that it is to your advantage, I'm in John 16 that I go away for if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. So this is not only the disciples, the world, the people of the world, he will convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. So from where does morality come? When I ask people today, they'll tell me, well, the masses, you know, the masses determine reality. Really? What masses? The Germans or the Russians? The Americans or the Chinese? Hollywood or Hitler, what masses? Once you lock God out in a closed system, you lose any standard of morality and evil will run rampant. And that's what the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth want to do as they combine resources. Once you go off the gold standard, you no longer know what your money's worth. Once you decide to live in a world without God, there's no hope, no meaning, and no objective morality. And that is the goal of atheism. And atheism, over the years and centuries, has brought great responsibility and devastation into a world where culture immediately begins to disintegrate. I did not find it surprising, but I did find it irritating that China opened the Olympic Games with the song by John Lennon, Imagine. Now, I'm like you, it's a beautiful song to listen to, the melody is wonderful, but it's It's like an animal that has horns, but speaks like a dragon. There's beauty in it, but there's also the foundation of hell in it. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Yeah. You think by ridding the world of religion, peace will come a far greater damaging faith system will take its place. Atheism. And by the way, this is China, a modern-day atheistic country responsible for more human rights violations and deaths than any other country on the planet. China has abused human rights for centuries. It holds no sacred view of life. It's involved in population control methods that often torture and annihilate people who refuse to conform. It forces arbitrary detention of young people who practice religion of any kind into detention camps. It commonly engages in sexual and physical abuse of women as a means of coercion. It represses cultural and religious expression. It practices forced sterilization and abortion. And even now, as we speak, China is committing genocide against the Muslims more than 1 million Muslims have been arbitrarily detained since 2017, and they are also putting Christians into forced labor camps. And these are, the only thi- these are only the things that we know about, the things that have been documented. When atheism rules, when anti-God government joins anti-God religion, death, abuse, and destruction occur everywhere. And that is the precarious position that this nation finds itself in today. What do you mean by precarious? stay with me, we're still religious. We are a God-fearing nation to some degree, but our leaders no longer adhere to the fundamental beliefs concerning a sovereign God to whom we're all accountable and a day of accountability for all of its citizens. And that's why you will notice, as America continues to go farther and farther away from God, you will see violence, you will see a lack of order, you will see autonomy that leads to more and more death. Think about it just for a moment, folks. Why on earth would America want to rid itself of a religion that is incredibly tolerant, like Christianity, that says no religion should be persecuted and replace it with atheism, which is the road we're headed down, historically, who have proven themselves to be incredibly destructive, who do not value life, and who are arrogant and will do whatever it takes propagate an agenda that devalues all human life. Okay, Pastor Jeff, what are we to do? Quickly, write these down. We realize that this is nothing new. This is the way the world operates apart from God. We shouldn't expect anything different. Two, realize the privilege under which you've lived for a very long time. Thank God for his blessings. Thank God that the church has been able to live in such peace in America and now get ready for the battle that most Christ followers have been fighting from the very beginning. Three, Resist the temptation to force your government to become Christian. Now, that's going to surprise a lot of you. But when government partners with religion, things typically do not go well. Jesus said, clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. In a democracy, we do use our voice to demand that our government allow religious freedom, even if it's atheism. Yes, I want and I pray that our government would uphold Christian ideas, the Christian ideas, Judeo-Christian ideas on which it was founded one that acknowledges the sovereignty of God, one that prays and humbles itself before God. But I do not pray for a government that oppresses people who don't agree with me. I don't want people to see Christianity as an earthly movement forcing everybody to conform to its precepts. Such a government would not be Christian. You and I are called to preach the gospel, to bring hope to the hopeless, to present Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life we are not called to create a government that isolates and coerces and manipulates people to become Christians. That will never work. You and I are called as the church to pull people out of this world system as we live lives of distinction. Someone said, religion determines our ethics. Ethics determine how we vote. Christian ethics are being replaced at the top by an atheistic worldview one that is aggressive toward religion, I know that, but to change it, yes, we use our voice to vote, but real change comes through the transformation of the heart. If we had been preaching the gospel the past 40 years with the same intent and passion that we've been trying to change the political system, there'd be so many believers in Jesus in this nation, we wouldn't be where we are now. Preach Christ and the gospel of mercy and salvation and grace and a kingdom that is everlasting. Four, remind yourself of the way that lasting change occurs. Many people are willing to get on a bus and travel to Washington, but very few are willing to walk across the street, across the soccer field, across the baseball diamond to take Jesus. Our voices are heard the loudest as Christ followers when we live with beauty and grace and mercy and care. Toward all people. And even when we stand on what is true, we do it in such a loving way that it becomes compelling. Five, patiently endure and remain faithful. Don't allow this world to pull you into the flow. Recognize that there is a beast of the sea that wants to get you into the flow of egocentrism. And there's the beast of the earth that wants you to become religious without being Christian. Remain faithful to the all-sufficient, all-atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Shed a tear for those who have been deceived and let it be a catalytic force to take the gospel to the community and to the world. Six, and I've got seven. We don't want to stop at six. That's man's number. We want seven. So six, teach your children well. Pray with them daily. Write scriptures all over your home. Put them on the walls, the doorpost of your house. Read the Bible to your children. Make sure your kids know who you are. Make sure they know you have some non-negotiables in your life because you live for a kingdom greater than yourself. These are their formative years. They will interpret everything they read and hear before the age of 10. They will interpret everything they read and hear in the future on the basis of what they learned during those formative years. Talk to them. Tell them stories of Jesus. Pray with them. Sing with them. Do whatever you can because the flow is difficult to get out of once the world carries you into it. And seven, finally. Praise God that your eyes have been opened. Do you know how blessed you are? Pray for a revelation that will bring happiness to you in the midst of a very difficult world. Now, look, all of this will not come together until next week. Do not miss next week because most of you are saying, Man, you said God's got this right now. I'm being bombarded. God does have this. But in the meantime, before we close out this series next week, remember what. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. I have two words for that. Woo, a who. That should make us all incredibly excited for what is to come. And in the meantime, we remain faithful. We know what's coming. We receive the warning, but we know we are marked and sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit as we think the thoughts of God and do his work in this world, securing our moment in eternity when God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, thank you for... The power of Revelation 13, and I I prayed desperately that there would be opened eyes, that the ears would be receptive to hear it, and that most of all, throughout these first three messages, that we would understand that we have a choice to make, and there's no middle ground, there is only one who atones for the sins of the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And there are false religious systems and false governments designed to oppress the people of god but one day justice will come it will roll like a river and we will witness the new heaven and the new earth for the old order of things has passed away in christ's name we are grateful amen
0: you've been listening to today with jeff Fines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts.